Hey, let's get into today. You know, many people think that faith is a private thing, a personal thing. Something you do for yourself, by yourself, you keep it to yourself. But I got to tell you, friends, that is not true. That is a lie. Um, It is the furthest thing from the purposes and the plan of God in your life. Although faith is clearly a personal matter, it's a choice that we make individually. You've probably heard it before that God has no grandchildren. He only has children. So just because you're raised in a Christian home doesn't mean that you're a Christian any more than you know, if you um, grow up in the back seat of your car, you're a spare tire, all right? Well, some of us have spare tires, but anyway, um, you get what I'm saying, right? So, so um, it, it's clearly a personal choice you make, but it's a mistake to think that your faith has to be private, that it's a private matter. When faith is only reduced to a private thing, it ceases to be what God intended it to be, and God intended your faith to be, guess what, interpersonal. God intends for your faith, your trust in him, to be something that you share with other followers, other believers, other people in your life. Um, Jesus tells us that. He tells us that the faith experience is supposed to be um, a group thing. Take a look what he says in John 13, 35. Read it with me. All people, come on, read it with me. All people will know. Thanks, Gerald, I heard that. Let's do it again. All people will know that you are my followers if, oh, there's one of those if clauses again, right? If you, what? Love each other. other. And he's talking about insiders, not just outsiders. I mean, God calls us to love the world too, just like Jesus did and gave his life. But he's talking about insiders. He's talking to his disciples, his followers. He's saying that if you love each other, you are showing those around you that you are a follower of mine. So it's a prerequisite um, that we need to love each other. It's required. So get this down on your outline. Jesus made following him to be a group experience, a group experience, not a private thing, not an individual thing. Lone Ranger had Tonto, right? You have, you have to have people in your life. Um, it's a part of it. Uh, New Testament historian Luke tells us that in Acts chapter 2, Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, people of Israel, listen, God publicly endorsed Jesus by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him. With the help of Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the what? Church, group. Um, ecclesia is the, is the Greek word. It's a group. They were added to the church that day. Church is not an event for people to attend. Church is not a building for people to enter. In the New Testament, church always means people. A group of people gathered together. God's purpose is not merely to save individuals God's purpose is to gather a group of people, and he called it the church. It's interesting, and um, I don't know if you've ever done any kind of study like this, but in, in my line of work, I do it all the time. God started out with his people, the nation of Israel, and then Jesus came into the picture and shifted everything, and we're going to be talking about this in a brand new series that's coming up in a few weeks, but, but he shifted everything so that it's not just his people, now it's his church. He instituted his church. He always works in groups. He's always 
carrying this faith experience as a group experience uh, for us. So we see day one of the church, the group, Acts 2.42. We're probably familiar with this already now. Look what it says. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We talked about that last week. And to fellowship and to sharing in meals and to prayer. This was an ongoing way of life. Weekend, week out, learning, connecting, sharing, praying, learning, connecting, sharing, praying together. Each week they did this. All of these activities that are mentioned are corporate in nature. So let's talk about the second one on the list. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Read it with me. And to fellowship. Let's read it again. And to fellowship. So not only were the early church members, early church believers devoted to the apostles' teaching, but they were also devoted to fellowship. And what's interesting in most churches, sadly, not outside, not those outside the church, but in most churches, we misunderstand fellowship. We think that attending a Sunday service, (coughs) excuse me, attending a Sunday service is fellowship. But what we see in Acts chapter 2 has little to do with attending a service. I mean, almost as if fellowship, we, we, we see it almost as if it's like a jar full of marbles. That all the marbles have come together in the jar, like we come together on a Sunday. The marbles are in the same jar, but there really is a very little togetherness in the jar, right? I mean, the marbles have little effect on each other. They basically just bump around against each other in the same jar. And this is the way that most churches are on any given Sunday, People come, people leave. People come, people leave. They just bounce around in the same jar and they have little effect on each other. Sometimes it probably happens right here at Pathway Church, sadly. We come into this room, we bump into someone we saw here last week and we leave. Never sharing life together, never really doing life together. We, you know, we joke around about it in announcements and stuff about, you know, we just see the back of each other's heads. But honestly, <laughs> Rows tend to do that, right? When you sit in a row, it, it, you see the back of a person's head. You don't, you don't connect. You don't share. You don't do life together. This isn't what church is supposed to be. It's supposed to be more than this. It's supposed to be more than this experience. If this is the only experience that you have in your life that you call church, you're missing out. This is just part of it. Look what it says. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. So what is, what is fellowship? Well, dictionary.com tells us that fellowship is an association of people who share the same interest, a group of people with something in common. That's interesting. Most of us think of fellowship as socializing together. Uh, some of you gave some text response to the question that I popped out this week. You know, we, we think that it's socializing together. We think that it's gathering together. We think that it's talking together. We think that it's hanging out together. We think that it's eating together. Many of us said that. But fellowship in church is supposed to be more than all of that combined. So in response to my question, what is fellowship? Anthony texted four letters Did you see it when he texted that? Some of you that are on this group text. You know what he texted? L-O-T-R. You know what that stands for? Lord of the Rings. 
Now, I don't know if you're familiar with Lord of the Rings or not. If, if you don't know, Lord of the Rings was written by, by J.R.R. Tolkien, was a fictional novel of epic proportion as a novel set in this fantasy world. It was also taken and, and, and made into movies that are phenomenal. We're going to see some clips from that. But in the plot of, of um, The Fellowship of the Ring, the future of, um, the civil, of really human civilization rests in the fate of one ring, which has been lost for centuries. Powerful forces are in a search for it, unrelenting in this search for it. But fate has placed this ring in the hands of a young hobbit by the name of Frodo Baggins. You're going to see him on the screen in just a minute. And Frodo steps into this daunting task of destroying the ring in the fires of Mount Doom where it was formed, where it was forged. So in the process, several heroes step up and gather together to help Frodo in his quest. Let's take a look at the clip. They were all in for this fellowship. In Acts 2.44, we read a really good description of what fellowship is supposed to be like in the church. Look what it says. All the believers, notice the first word, what's it say? All. All the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. I want you to circle two words on your outline, if you would. I want you to circle shared everything. Shared everything. Come on, say it with me. Shared everything. Remember now with me, the New Testament was originally written in Koine Greek, and then it was translated and transliterated for us so that we could read it in English. Shared everything comes from um, a Greek root word, which is koinos. Um, Koinos is the root of another Greek word that you may be more familiar with. It's called koinonia. Koinonia is the English word fellowship that is used in our passage. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship or koinonia. Now, honestly, fellowship, this English word fellowship, is just an attempted translation of this Greek word koinonia. We really do not have a word that is equivalent to this Greek word. So we kind of really have to pull back and unpack this word a little bit to get a, a broader definition, a real understanding of it. And one good way to look at, at a word, if you don't understand it in scripture, is to compare it to the synonyms that are used um, throughout the, the Bible. For instance, in this particular case, the word fellowship is the, is the translation for the Greek word koinonia. But in another scripture that we're going to look at in just a minute, the word partnership is used as an English translation for the same Greek word koinonia. Take a look. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1.9, God is faithful to do what he says, and he has invited you into partnership, or you could write in the word koinonia, partnership with his son. Now that kind of gives it a whole nother angle because now it's talking about a relationship that we have with Jesus where we are in a partnership, a koinonia with him. And yet that's the same word that we find in our passage where it tells us that the, the believers devoted themselves to, together, to koinonia among themselves, to partnership. I want you to circle that word partnership so that we kind of get that in our heads today. It speaks of this, this active partnership. It's an action word. It's not a static word by any means. It's not a word that stands still. It's a word that does something. It calls us to action. It calls us to do something together. We really see it as Paul 
the Apostle Paul is an amazing, um, I would say, commentator on his, himself. <laughs> because you see him use this word in 1 Corinthians 1. But then what he does is he takes this word and he expands upon it in Philippians chapter 2. Take a look. Paul writes this. If you've gotten anything out of following Christ... If his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community, what's he talking about? Church, group of believers. If being in a community means anything to you, then do me a favor. Agree with each other. Love each other. Don't push your way to the front. Push yourself aside and help others get ahead. Forget yourself long enough to lend a helping hand. What does he do? He takes this word koinonia, this word fellowship, this word um, partnership, and he teases it out so that we get a really good look at what it means. He's basically describing a community, a fellowship, a group of people where every person considers the needs of someone else first over their own needs, where they share everything, where the, they are pulling together rather than pulling apart where people partner with each other, where they do life together, where they share life together. That's what the church is supposed to be. Get this down in your outline. Followers of Jesus are called to do life and share life together. We're called to do life and share life together. You know what's crazy is nobody had to tell the early church believers in the first century when they first started in the book of Acts, no one had to tell them, now what you need to do is do fellowship. No one had to tell them that. It was a natural instinct. The Holy Spirit had come upon them. There was a natural inclination that was to outwardly do life together, outwardly share life together. Verse 45 of Acts 2, it says, They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. That's interesting. We read that passage and immediately we think, Whoa, now wait, wait. Where's Bart going with this? Because it's talking about us selling our stuff and our money, and that's really important to me. I know. It's important to me too. And we get so hung up on that first part that we miss the second part of this passage where it says that they shared with those in need. That's Generosity, that's the point of this verse. It's not that they sold stuff, it's that they helped each other. Don't get hung up on what's cultural for us and miss what God is trying to talk to us about as a church. Listen, churches get stuck in culture and never accomplish the purposes and plans of God. And I don't want to be that kind of church. I don't want us to be those kind of followers. God calls us to something more than that. He calls us to be here for each other. Followers of Jesus are called to do life and share life together. Fellowship is when we display genuine caring for each other, where we meet the needs practically for each other. And so what this does is it invites us out of the world of isolation. You say, well, I got friends. I don't care how many friends we have in our culture, we have to fight the tendency to isolate ourselves. Many years ago, this has been probably 25, 30 years ago, I remember reading this article and it talked about how our culture is changing. And it says that 
You know, we live in a culture, this is, this is probably in the 90s, I guess, that we live in a culture where when people come home from work, they push the button, open up the drawbridge, which would be your garage door, and run in, you know, drive their car into the garage, push the button, and it closes back down, and they go into their house never having anything to do with their neighbors. But if you step back 20 more years, the first thing you would do is talk to your neighbors when you got home. Because why? <laughs> you had to get out of your car to lift the garage door, and you probably would see neighbors, hey, Joe, how you doing? Hey, good to see you. At least you would have some interaction with them. You follow what I'm saying? So we've become this isolated culture, and it has bled into us as a church as well. And so we have a tendency to come into a worship together experience like this and then leave, never connecting with each other never really knowing what's going on in somebody's life that might be sitting right next to you when you worship together. Wow. Real community exists when the welfare of all is the concern of all. It exists when everyone gives everything they can to help each other. Sometimes it's hard to grasp that it's not possible to be a Christian alone. It really isn't. We've got to realize that Jesus has entrusted us into each other's care. See, and this is something that we, we miss. We don't realize that the whole purpose of the church is that Jesus uses it not only to glorify God, not only to bring about his plan and his purpose in our world, but God is using the church to help us as believers. Because living as people of faith in our world and in our culture and in your job and in your marriage and in your neighborhood can be tough at times, right? And so we need that support. We need each other. And this is what Jesus wants us to see in this passage. The Apostle Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians 12. Look what he says. The way God designed our bodies is a model for understanding our lives together as a church. So think about how your body is designed, and this is the model for how the church is supposed to work. Look what it says. Every part dependent on every other part. Wow. If one part hurts, every other part is involved in the hurt and in the healing. If one part flourishes, every other part enters into the exuberance, the joy. This is the kind of community that we're called to experience in church. I mean, and this kind of community doesn't just happen automatically, does it? We know that to be true because it's so easy for us to come and go in church and never really know what's going on in each other's lives. It requires intentional effort. If we're going to be this kind of church, this kind of community, this kind of fellowship, it requires us prioritizing, it requires us giving it energy, it requires us making schedule changes to make time to be together. We've got to dig deep in our finances and our resources to share. We've got to get close with one another. Oh, close. Right? Close enough to, to know what's going on. It's difficult at times to share when we've got our guard up. And yet, the only way that we're going to know what's going on is if we get close enough to lower our guard. 
our defenses. Hmm. Followers of Jesus are called to do life, share life together. And yet, sadly, there are so many people who attend church but are not devoted to the people that they gather with. We, we may be a friendly church, but we're not a church of friends. And that's what God calls us out of. That people want to live with the church, but not marry her. I heard this phrase this week. I'm like, wow, what a great thought. You want all of the benefits without the commitment. And this is not what Jesus calls us to do as followers. We are called to be devoted to one another, even when it's inconvenient, even when it's messy, even when it requires our time and our energy and our sacrifice, even when we don't feel like it, even when we'd rather do something else, Jesus wants his followers to be devoted to each other. I think this is what the Apostle Paul, once again, is trying to point to in one verse. And I know that this verse is in a passage about financially giving and contribution and generosity and all that. And so it's a, it's a completely separate issue. But there's one verse that grabs my attention, and I think it applies to what we're talking about today. Look at it, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 5. It says, they, the believers, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us just as God wanted them to do. It's a powerful verse, isn't it? Hmm. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us. Listen, Pathway Church, God is tired of us simply being a friendly group of people. There's a DNA change that he wants to make in us as a church, God wants us to become devoted to each other. He wants us to be there for each other. I know of people among us who are struggling. And because of my position here and the lead position that I'm in, I, I am talked to. People email me, text me, call me talk to me after service, whatever. They, they share things with me because of my position. And I know that we have people here who are struggling, struggling in life, struggling in relationships, struggling financially, struggling at work, struggling in their marriage, struggling with health issues, struggling with worry over all kinds of things. Some are overwhelmed emotionally, overwhelmed physically, overwhelmed financially, overwhelmed by fear or by stress. Some feel like they're drowning, like they're suffocating. Circumstances feel out of control. But for the most part, we don't even know. We don't know that the people that we sit with on Sundays are struggling You know why? Because we're not close enough. How can we possibly know each other's needs from a distance? Hmm. At one point in the Fellowship of the Ring movie, Frodo decides that he's going to go it alone. He doesn't need these other people. I'm just going to do it myself. But one of his friends, Sam, 
who, if you don't know, is really, Caleb talked to me about this, really the main character um, of the entire series is, it's all about Sam. Sam, his friend, says, no, you're not going to do this alone. I will go with you. Take a look at this clip. We have some right here at Pathway Church that are facing depression. We have some here at Pathway who are facing tough marriage issues. We have some at Pathway who are sucking wind financially. We have some here that are incredibly lonely. We have some people here who need parenting help. We have some who need encouragement today. And we have some here at Pathway Church that just need a friend. And you can be exactly what someone here at Pathway Church needs. It's time. It's time for us to be a fellowship, a koinonia, to take action, to do life and share life together. Would you bow your heads with me? All week, I uh, just kept asking God, God, what do you want to do? How do you want to end this experience this week? And I kept coming back to this idea of us being there for each other. It takes action to be there for each other. Because on the front side, for the person who has a need, it takes a willingness to be open and vulnerable. And to admit, I need somebody to stand with me. I'm going through something, I just, I need somebody to be there. We all know that Jesus is with us. We trust that. We believe that. But this goes beyond that. Jesus designed the church to go beyond that. He designed the church to be a physical representation of him to each other. Not just to the world, to each other. And there are times, come on, you know, there are times when you need to know somebody is with you. They're praying for you. You need to have somebody put a hand on your shoulder and say, I'm, I'm here. I'm standing with you. You need to experience a hug from somebody. You need to cry with somebody because you're struggling. On the flip side, it takes action on the part of the person who can be that provider who can be Jesus' hands and mouth extended to somebody else. It, it takes action on your part to say, yeah, I'm going to step up. I'm going to come alongside somebody who, who has a need. And I'm going to pray for him. I'm going to be there. I'm going to let him know that I'm there. I'm not just going to think it. I'm going to say it. 
And today, that's the way I feel like we need to end. We're going to sing a couple songs and then um, I just want to give you an opportunity. If you're in this room and you say, man, I'm, I'm struggling with some stuff. You need us. You need Pathway Church to be the church in your life today. And I'm going to invite you to find a place up front here. You can stand, you can kneel, you can do whatever you want to do right up front here. But just by coming, you would say, I need somebody to stand with me. I need somebody to pray with me. I need to know that somebody is with me because I'm struggling. For those of us that may not be going through something right now, we know what it's like to go through something. We know what it's like to need somebody. And so when you see somebody come forward, don't just sit there and watch. Let's get up and move and act. Let's be the church today. Let's, just, let's not just do church. Let's be it today. So when we start singing, if you, if you need to know that somebody is standing with you, I want you to find your way up front here. And then I guarantee you, I'm going out on a limb here, I guarantee you that somebody is going to meet you there.